Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Are you looking for a designer to help you with your next product or startup? When I'm not working on the show, I'm busy working as an award-winning chief design officer and have been doing software design for startups and other companies for over 20 years. I'm also a published author and recently sold a startup to a multi-billion dollar company. For more information, visit kevinhorick.com. That is K-E-V-I-N-H-O-R-E-K.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Christian Lang. He's the co-founder and CEO at TradeShift. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing at TradeShift is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. So uh, I'm, I'm from Denmark. So uh, if, if you're not that familiar with geography, uh, Northern Europe. Sure. Um, and I moved to the West Coast. I moved to San Francisco nine years ago. So I've been living in, in California ever since. Very cool. Um, and if you ever tr if you ever tried the Danish Windows once, uh, you'll also probably realize I'm I'm never going back. <laughs> sure. Um, so you went to university. What did you take and why? So I actually did my first startup before I went to university. So right after high school, it was '99, and okay. I knew how to program. And you know, it's a really fun time. So we started a company. We had a lot of fun. Um, ended up selling it in 2001. And, and then after that, my mom was like, you got to have an education, Christian. Um, so I, I chose to study sociology. Okay. Um, and, and, and the reason was actually pretty simple. I felt like I knew a lot about technology. I knew a lot about programming, computers, software. Um, but I had this hunch that most of the internet and, and technology would actually be more about people than the technology and how people connect. So, so that was my reason for, for studying sociology. Interesting. So, you get out of university. Well, you you also got a master's, correct? Uh, I got a bachelor, and then uh, I dropped out uh, before I had to hand in my master thesis. So uh, I have a master minus two weeks. Oh, interesting. Okay, no that. So what made you kind of drop out? Well, um, so for the first three years, obviously, really focused on my studies. Then. For the second half of my studies, um, I got involved in, in working with um, a huge project at the time that the Danish government was driving around, moving a lot of infrastructure and payments to cloud. Okay. Um, and, you know, that really grew and it became sort of almost like a national platform for, for payments between companies. And we thought that was really exciting. So I, uh, you know, probably one of the very few people in the world who ever left um, my master thesis to go work for the government, but I did. Interesting. Okay, so walk me through the rest of your career up until uh, being co-founder of uh, and CEO of TradeShift. Yeah, well, um, so so the project we were working on and, and the reason I dropped out was was really the very first peer-to-peer um, -peer trade and payment protocol in the world. Uh, this was way before blockchain. Interesting. Um, and we didn't have all of the cryptographic really cool stuff people are doing with blockchain today, but 
we had a simple peer-to-peer uh, mechanism. You can sort of compare it to how Napster came before, uh, uh, you know, BitTorrent, you know, and, and a little bit the same. We, we built that for, for trade and payments um, okay. to make trade easier for companies. Um, and we went on to build something similar for the European Union, which was a massive project, right? I mean, you know, 27 countries, hundreds of thousands of, of companies and, and billions of dollars in transactions. Um, did that with a core team um, that I've been working with ever since. Um, we we decided that with all of the knowledge we had and all of the exciting stuff we built, all of us had previously had startups. Uh, so we decided to go and, and jump out and, and found yet another startup. And, and that became TradeShift. That's, that's exactly 10 years ago. Wow, congrats. Um, that's huge. Yeah. And uh, so, so, you know, I was joking the other day. I pretty much done startups since I was 19 years old, and then you know I I probably was just really bad at having a boss. I think, <laughs> um, but uh, it's been a lot of fun and it's been a great ride. And you know, even Tradeshift, uh, it's bigger than ever. Okay, interesting. No, that that's great. So, what exactly does Tradeshift do, and and how has it kind of evolved over the last decade? So I think when we started out, right. We, you know, as young people, we're looking at all of this software that um, that was being used to connect companies. And it was super complicated, very, very expensive. If you're, let's say, a company in China who wanted to do business with a huge company in Europe, you'd have to spend millions of dollars of software, of consultants and all of these things just to connect and do business. And you can almost think about that, that like a tax on the economy as a whole. Okay. And, and what we saw very early on is, you know, this is not at all aligned with how consumers are doing business, right? As consumers, we're using LinkedIn, later Twitter, later Instagram. It was super easy to connect, super easy to share, super easy to collaborate. So our thesis for Tracy very early on was, um, why don't we build networking uh, for co- companies like they're built for consumers rather than trying to do all of this old school legacy stuff. Uh, so in a way, we, we looked at Facebook, we looked at LinkedIn, and we used that as a model and, and kind of created what you could almost call a social network for companies. Uh, and, and that's what we launched 10 years ago. And, and the mission back then was, uh, let's connect all of the companies in the world. And, and guess what? The mission today is still, let's connect all of the companies in the world. So so haven't really uh, changed at all. Uh, obviously, we have a lot more capital, a lot more people, a lot more customers with us on the journey, but but we stuck to this, I think, really big idea, and and you know, it's, it's still very exciting to work on. No, very cool. So, give us some examples of how companies use TradeShift. So, um, you know, one example is if you're a company that's manufacturing or selling stuff somewhere in the world, and you're looking for more customers, you're looking for more business, you can go join the Tracy's network, you can sign up, you can create a profile, and you can then go look for customers in other countries and connect with them. Um, the reverse is also true. You might be a huge company, uh, let's say like you know, Unilever, DHL, or UPS, or something similar, and you have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of suppliers all over the world, and it's a huge mess to try to manage all of these companies that you're doing business with, um, and you might use our software to go and invite them to join your network. So you almost create like a private network on our platform where you're connected with all of your business partners um, and you can manage all of that trade with, with them, meaning, you know, everything that goes into an order, inventory, um, payments around it, and, you know, everything that comes after. So, so in a way, you know, we just a platform that allowed these companies to connect and then trade together. 
And of course, uh, when companies trade, there's a lot of steps, right? There's a lot of processes that needs to, to happen. And what we try to do is to make them as simple as possible and have them in the background so you can actually focus on the humans connecting and, and making that easier and, and not spending your time on, on really boring stuff like uh, figuring out if an invoice matches a purchase order or, or something like that. Okay, interesting. So then are you guys basically building in a bunch of third-party integrations in, into your software to handle some of that stuff or, or walk us through that? Yeah, so, it, you know, I mean, if you go back 15 years, 20 years, yeah. it, as I just said, it was super expensive to connect two companies. It would cost a lot of money because their systems would have to be connected and learn to talk together. One of the inventions I think we've done or one of the big innovations is, is really – um, to use sort of cloud software and use super advanced uh, machine learning and other things to make it simple and easy and fast to connect companies. So you don't need to be a programmer um, to figure out how to connect with a huge company to do business with them. Our software sort of takes care of all of that in the background, and we have profiles for all of these different business systems, and then we have some software that pretty much can take care of the mapping between them automatic. So um, if you have a company and you need to do business with another company and it all needs to happen electronically instead of paper, our software can pretty much do that on the fly. You don't need to, to go and miss months and months of your life in, in figuring out that it's going to happen or hire some consultants that are super expensive to do it. Sure. Well, and then, like, maybe, maybe this is a bad example, but um, if, if I just do business, say, in, in the States, but I'm looking to expand to another country, just the fact that you guys integrate with the apps in that other country is going to save me a an astronomical amount of time because I don't have to worry about building those kind of integrations into my own platform. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. But I think on top of that, think about it as a network. Think about how you would use Facebook or something else, right? So okay. we have 350,000 350, companies just in, in, in the Western countries. We have more than 2 million companies globally on the platform. Wow. And in 190 countries, right? So if you want to go do business in China, Apart from just you know going and helping you make those integrations easily, we have a huge community of companies that you can go engage with. You say, hey, we're looking for parts maybe to go manufacture um, this gadget that we want to sell on Kickstarter, or ah. you know we're doing something else, and all of these companies are there and say, hey, we can actually do this for you, and here's what we've done elsewhere, and so on. So it's it's much more than just taking care of the technical stuff. We we actually think that's the boring stuff. Okay. We think it's much more about how can we help you grow your business by getting access to this market in a way that's much, much easier and with much less friction, right? Sure. And, no. and we are, we are, are hyper-global. Yeah, so go on, go on. We are hyper-global today, right? I mean, if you go back 10, 15 years, the idea that I would go to China and source some things from my gadget or, you know, Malaysia or sell something in Latin was, was very foreign, but pretty much, you know, all people today in business or in startups, or entrepreneurs, et cetera, it's a global generation, right? We expect to eat global foods. We expect to have access to global components, build our businesses globally from the start. So, so I think that's super exciting. In a way, that's what we're helping empower. No, I, I love that. I, that's the thing that like, it, it still kind of blows me away that some businesses or individuals or both don't think of their business being something that could potentially be provided in other parts of the world. Unless you're doing something really specific into a geographical region I, you know most businesses can try to find clients or companies or partners in other parts of the world right so i love how you guys yeah. basically bridge that gap 
Yeah, and, and think about it as consumers, right? With, with the iPhone or Android or whatever, with your smartphone, um, you know, every niche became an app. Like if sure. you are into horses, there's a social network, I'm for sure, for horses, right? Or sure. whatever you're into, you can explore that, right? But if you have a business, let's say you have a um, fashion business in LA, you're a small boutique maker, maybe let's say cowboy boots, you know, and you have a little market, everybody knows your name. Well, in today's world, you know, there might be a market 100 times the size of what you're doing in China, in Mexico, in all of these other countries. But as a small, maybe manufacturer, a boutique of something, how do you go and start selling your stuff in China? This is pretty daunting, right? The how do you get sure. access to finance, storage, all of that stuff. And our platform can literally take care of all of that in turn. Okay, so maybe walk us through that process a little bit. So. If I'm new to TradeShift, I, I come to the site, walk me through how I get onboarded and actually start using the platform. So you can get onto the platform in, in two ways. So, so one is the primary way and then there's a secondary. So the primary way you get onto the platform is you get invited by one of our large customers to join. Okay. So a lot of companies, they never heard about TradeShift before and then they get an invite from let's say DHL, which is of course a global logistics company and say, hey, in the future, we would like to do all our business with you on TradeShift, right? So it's a little bit like getting an invite to join LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever it is. So you get this invite, you, you go join, you set up an account, and you start out being connected with, you know, DHL. So that's your first connection, a little bit like when we all had MySpace and we only had one friend on MySpace to start with, right? Right. But then as you use the platform, as you do more business with DHL and we learn about your business, we can suggest other businesses for you to connect with. We can suggest other business partners. And you can also go and search. You can look for products on our marketplaces. Or you can start uploading your products on other marketplaces to get seen by somebody else. Okay. Do, do they have to be physical products? Can they be digital? Can they be both? Or, or walk oh, us through that? Yeah, it can be services. It can be physical goods. It can be inventory. I mean, it can really be anything, right? I mean, I would say probably 30% of our volume is services. Okay. Uh, so, so, so there's really no sort of limitation to what you can trade on the platform, right? And, and we're trading, I mean, just last quarter, we, we processed um, more, than, uh, more than $70 billion, right? So wow, that's it's, huge. It's Congrats, man. Pretty, yeah, thank you. It's pretty large volumes, right? I mean, it, it's up there. It's, it's, it's getting close to where somebody like Amazon, for instance, is. Of course, Amazon is mostly B2C. Right, and, and we focus yeah. only on B2B. We think that's, that's uh, part of the world we understand, right? Sure. So you mentioned people sell kind of services on, on there as well. What types of services do people uh, kind of sell or trade on, on the platform? So that could be legal services, right? You could be a lawyer in Sweden and know everything about business law in Sweden and some company is trying to do a contract there and they're looking for a contract that could do that. It can be um, temporary worker agencies like Manpower and, and other big ones that are simply on the platform. And if you're looking for services, you can trade that straight away. Or it can be a boutique entrepreneur that is doing everything from, you know, uh, I'll take an example. I actually saw recently somebody who was specialized in building 3D printing mock-ups of uh, components that you're trying to build. And the whole service is just not to produce the actual physical mock-up, but to do the design for you. So... You might have an idea, uh, let's say a new device, again, going back to the Kickstarter example you want to make, um, but you're not, a, um, you know, um, you're not somebody who knows how to do all of this 
sort of uh, you know visual design and and that might be a service maker that can do that for you and and completely mock it up and then you know help you manage the relationship with whoever in china is going to build it for you right so i would say you've seen everything from uh cutting the grass all the way up to huge legal companies providing their services to large large fortune 500 companies on the platform interesting no that that's that's really cool. So if I'm a company, then how do I get on uh, TradeShift? So so if you don't get invited by a big customer, I mean, the simplest way is actually just to go to tradeshift.com and click sign up and we'll ask you a bunch of questions. What's your business? What industry are you in? What products do you offer? Where are you from? What are you looking for? Um, and that's the very easiest way to get started. Very cool. So I'm curious, though, if... Well, no, sorry. How do I actually like connect with others? Like you mentioned you recommend um, other companies as I'm using the platform, but is it like a true social network where I can kind of connect with random companies and, and people or how does that kind of work? Yeah, so you can go search, right? So you can say, hey, I'm looking for legal services. I'm looking okay. for template for... And, and, you know, the network will essentially show you, okay, and, and you can put fills on to say, oh, I want to look at somebody who's, you know, just right around me. I want to look at somebody who's in China, whatever. And that will give you a list of companies. And you can literally just connect with them. You can write them and say, hey, I'm looking to do this. And, and you know, just like, you know, from almost any other platform, you can start collaborating with them and, and you know, figuring out what, what is it they do. And, and, and companies are actually fairly, you know, responsive on the platform. So, so yeah, I think... That's probably pretty much the best way of getting started. We will do some recommendations once we learn a little bit more about your business. Um, and another way to do it is you can either go look at some of the, there's some big public marketplaces. You can go join where it can be specialized. So it can be like, oh, marketplace for electronics or services or something else. You can go join. You can look at everybody who's on that marketplace. Or you can go and if you want to sell something, you can start offering your services on some of these marketplaces. And what's really cool about it is it's not like, well, you know from Amazon, but there's only one global marketplace. There might be very many different ones. There can be some that's run by big companies that are looking for very specific services. There can be public ones that just run and operated by somebody who has a passion for, for a certain industry. And some of them are invite-only, so they require you to fulfill certain criteria, maybe having a certain volume, having you know a certain amount of business you've already done, right? So, so there's many different ways to sort of explore the network and, and get connected with, uh, with us. Interesting. So you guys have these enterprise solution apps. What exactly are those and how are they similar and different to what we've been talking about so far? So what I kind of just described so far has sort of been the functionality of this, let's call it the generic network and the platform and what that's for everyone. Sure. But if you're one of our last customers, right, um, you have every single problem I described, but you have it multiplied by 50,000. Sure. Because you have 50,000 global suppliers and I don't know how many countries. So you have big issues like how do I make sure I'm tax compliant with the trade that I'm doing in China? How do I make sure that I'm paying out my money from the right bank accounts and that I'm earning the right return in my working capital and so on? So we have this suite of enterprise applications that sit on top of the network. And, and there's two main areas that we have. One is it's called pay, which essentially is end-to-end enterprise payments. Um, you can almost think about it like a PayPal for, for the Fortune 500. Um, but where as a PayPal for a consumer, it's about you and I connecting and just sending you money bills for the enterprise. It's actually about everything that happens before. 
They're going to make sure that they legally can send me the money and that I am who I say I am and I can deliver the goods that I promise to deliver, right? So that's what that platform helped them manage end to end. And then we have Buy, which is essentially um, private marketplaces. So if you're a big enterprise, you can sit up and run your own marketplaces. So you can say, okay, I want to build a marketplace for, um, let's say, fruit produce or legal services or whatever it is that's your sort of B2B domain. And you manage it yourself, you decide the rates, you decide who can join, what are the criteria for it. So it's a way of, of you know, becoming enabled as a marketplace operator um, very, very quickly. So that's what we do for the last guys, and, and that's what our application, enterprise applications on top of the platform do. Interesting. No, that, that's, that's very cool. Um, so I'm curious to maybe dive a little bit deeper into some of the stuff that you guys actually offer kind of the seller, you guys have this invoicing thing that I found really quite interesting because I think it's it can be quite challenging invoicing outside of your own country. Never Well, sometimes in your own country, but I think invoicing outside of your, your own country is really challenging. So do you want to talk about what you guys do on that front? Yeah, so so we launched something. We call it um, Trace It Cash. It's built into our invoicing platform. And um, it essentially came out of, of a pain we, you know, I felt many times myself also as an entrepreneur. And, you know, whenever you invoice somebody, either, as you say, in your own country or internationally, uh, one, one of the biggest pain points um, you typically have is, is just getting paid, right? And mm-hmm. um, sometimes it takes 30, 60 days, 90 days to get paid. And what we looked at is to say, well, it's actually kind of funny because as a consumer, we have credit cards and we can... You know, if you pay a merchant, he gets paid immediately. But as a consumer, we don't have to pay in, until later. But the moment we have business, um, it's very different, right? You know, as a business, you have to, to take the credit. There's nobody in between. Um, so we decided the system we call Trace of Cash, and it means if you're using our platform to invoice a known customer that's on our system and we're expanding the list all the time, we will pay you within 24 hours of you sending the invoice, uh, plus a small fee, and then uh, after you know, what would be the normal business term, 60 days or 90 days or whatever, um, we will then get the money from the customer. Um, so it's sort of like, like credit cards, but for businesses, and it's okay. built into the invoicing process. So you can get your capital immediately. And for a lot of companies, that's kind of life or death, right? I mean, if you're, sure. if, if you're a contractor or you're somebody else providing services and you have to wait 90 days for your money, well, that's 90 days where you're not hiring more people or growing your business. But, but with the cash platform, you can get access to that capital immediately. Interesting. No, that's that's actually really quite fascinating. And it's always kind of shocked me how complicated it is to get paid. <laughs> yeah. And we solved it so simply for consumers, right? You never go into a store and think, oh, my God, how am I going to pay these guys? I mean, yes, you sometimes think that because you don't have enough money. But, sure. but you know, I mean, you don't think about, oh, my God, I wonder if, you know, I can, you know, use credit cards here or if I have to write a check or maybe – I have to give him a like you don't go through all of this, you just assume that as a consumer you assume that your payment means will always work as long as you have capital, right? Yeah. And in B2B, it would be like if you went into a store and you're about to buy something and the guy says, uh, oh, do you want thirty days or sixty days and two percent or five percent? Like, you know, why would we go through all of this? We we don't. And with Tracy, we're completely simplifying that so you don't have to either. It's like being a consumer, send your invoice, get paid, and, you know, we take care of the rest. Interesting. So then how do you guys monetize the platform? 
So we monetize in two ways, right? So our big enterprise customers, they obviously pay, and, and that's a software as a service business, like okay. Salesforce or, or Workday, any other business, right? And, and they pay for, for using our software, which is valuable to them. And then on the other side of the table, on the seller side, we, we have this very, very simple rule, which is we will never charge unless we create value, right? So it's free to join the platform. You can go join right now. It's totally free. You can use it. But let's say you want to use our cash service and get paid instantly on all our, you know, your invoices. We will take a fee out of that financing, right? So a little bit like the gotcha. credit card. You pay, a, you pay an interest, you know, for getting that credit. So, so I think, you know, um, we monetize when we create value. And, and that's our rule for, for sellers and small companies all over the world. Interesting. No, because so I, I guess just to kind of make sure people 100% understand um, the platform kind of at least at a high level, because you guys do a ton of stuff for people. And, and if people are interested, they can really go go to, you know, tradeshift.com and, and check it all out. But if I'm a if I have physical products and or services, I could basically post them up online for free and then unless I'm a huge enterprise, then basically you guys take a cut of certain things as I make money through the platform. Is that kind of a very simplified version of what you guys do? Absolutely right. But you don't even need to join the marketplace. You might just using it as invoicing. So I think most gotcha. companies, you know, have to, have to send out invoices. So you can sure. start there, right? Like, um, but then you can sort of layer in all of these other layers as you get more comfortable. But that's, a, I think, a very good simplified way of thinking about it. Very cool. And I'm just, just looking through kind of the interface and, and the stuff that you guys have, have kind of built. Like it, it's, it, it's very kind of simple to use. And, and you know, it, you guys did a really good job at, at kind of laying things out. And, and, and I, I'm pretty sure that people, there's not, doesn't really seem to be that big of a learning curve. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely right. So, so what we have done is um, we, we, again, took all of our cues from, from consumer software. I think most enterprise software out there get built from the perspective of all of these you know, complex rules with the buyer, right? So if you're responsible, if you're working inside a big company and you're responsible for buying yourself some software, okay. you want to make sure that you do a good job, right? You want to make sure you are to get as many features as possible, right? So you have huge spreadsheets where you record all of the features of a, a provider and then you compare all of the, the, the bidders of that software to see how good they are. And unfortunately, what that really leads to is software that's super complex to use because all of the software providers, they're trying to raise to just put more bells and whistles in. And the reality is that that is never used. So you get something from the end user perspective that's extremely complex. So we went with a different mindset and said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could remove all of the features that weren't needed and make the interface as simple as possible for the end user when they have to use the software. Um, which is sort of how you think in the consumer world, right? I mean, uh, Instagram can probably not be any simpler than it is, right? I mean, it's just sure. a minimum amount of buttons. And that's exactly the same strategy we're taking for, for all of the enterprise software we're building. Got you. The, the other thing that I think you guys do really unique is, is the, the Go um, credit card. Do you want to talk about that? And what exactly is that? So um, we started out to go with a, it's a, it's a product that allows you to um, use um, virtual credit cards to pay for things if you have a business. Um, and, and what that means is um, whenever 
you know, you need to sign up for a new service. Let's say you're getting a new piece of software. It costs $9 a month or something. You can use go to create a virtual credit card just for that service. And okay. it can't be abused. It can't be used anywhere else. And um, it's on the fly. Um, or let's say, you know, you have somebody, a sales guy who's in the field, and um, maybe he's at a conference, and the TV that they were supposed to show the product on is broken, and they need a new one. He can take a picture of that TV and say, I need a new TV. It's around $400. I'm going to go pick it up around the corner. And you can just real-time issue a credit card to him with $400 on that he can go and use to pay. Um, so what this does is it, it takes out all of the friction of having to do your expenses. If you're working in a big company, you know how much expenses suck. Um, but it's also um, a way of large companies to just manage and make it super easy to reconcile all of the the payments you have because you're literally generating a credit card per payment. Um, so we built this platform. It's called Go. It's super, super simple, very lightweight. Um, and uh, the best news is it's actually completely free to use. Um, so we have a we have a deal with uh, with, the, with the credit card companies uh, right now. The primary relationship we have in North America is American Express. No, oh, very cool. Um, and so, so you can, yeah, if, if anybody have a company and they have credit cards uh, and then they think it's an issue to manage this, you go check it out. And we originally, we thought we were going to build it for small companies and medium companies. It'd be a great way for them to sort of just handle their payments in the simple way. But what we found out is that huge companies, they love it too. Um, because they have this problem times 10,000, right? So whenever you have a yeah. large company, you just have the same problem, just much, much bigger. Interesting. No, for sure. Like I've always kind of worked at kind of medium to or like small to medium kind of size um, companies. And we had the problem, right, with, with credit cards. Just if you have even like 10, 12, 15 people. So I can't even imagine trying to manage hundreds or, or thousands of of people yeah. with credit cards. Like, it's just got to be a nightmare for accounting, right? No, exactly right. And I think especially if you have an uh, you know, accounting department that's already stressed out and then solving a lot of other stuff for you, um, this is a super easy way to just handle all of the complexity. It's also, and, and this is something, you know, we've seen over and over, employees, they just lost Go. Uh, it literally has the highest NPS rating of any of our products. It's above 64, right? So wow. that means that everybody would pretty much recommend the software to their friends. Um, and, and that's how we try to make software, right? We might be trying to make something that, that creates value and easy to use for people. No, makes, makes total sense. So you brought up something kind of early on in the conversation, um, it, blockchain. Obviously, when you guys started TradeShift, blockchain wasn't really a thing. How do you think that fits into TradeShift? And how do you think it's kind of matured? Is it mature? At this point, where what are your thoughts around blockchain? Um, I think you know certain parts of blockchain is probably going to be the next rework, um, but I think other parts are you know going to be pretty amazing and solve really big problems for people. Um, I'll give you one example, right? Okay. An area that I think is really, really, really amazing, and I'm sometimes known to be a little skeptical, but I like to start by pointing out something I think is really, truly amazing of blockchain. So I think something like remittances, right? Uh, okay, for all of the people who comes from emerging uh, economies that goes overseas to earn money and send them back to the families, which is a huge, huge thing all over the world. Yeah. And, and pretty much is running whole economies and keeping people fed and families and, and children in school, all of these things. It used to be to do remittances, sometimes the fees were 20, 30, 40% send your wow. money back to the country you came from. 
And I think there's a number of blockchain solutions out there that has pretty much made that free and instant, right? So that's the case, I think, of, of really creating good for the world. I think it's, it's a use case that's awesome because it's cross-border and it's, you know, between a lot, a lot of different players, right? And you cut out all the middlemen and you just make it very simple to work. So I think that's, that's fantastic, right? I think the other areas where blockchain sometimes is, blockchain sometimes is like a technology in search of a problem, right? Um, you know, if, if I went to my customers and say, hey, we can use blockchain to run all of your payments, and it's super awesome, the first thing they would tell me is, that's fine, but if it doesn't work, who do we sue? Yeah, and we would say, like, well, blockchain is decentralized, and, you know, everybody's responsible, and nobody's responsible. And, you know, most Fortune 500 companies in the world, they would say, no, thank you. Yeah. Right. So, so because they want to make sure that they don't have a legal risk or any other kind of risk. So I think that's one thing where, you know, if, if you're in control of the problem entering, like if you're a Fortune 500 company and you know who you're doing business with and you have that managed relationship, regular cloud technologies are probably better. But it's, if it's what we call a multi-stakeholder problem where you have a lot of different parties. So one example could be like uh, supply chains in the food area, right? So, and let's say you sell a, you know, a food product somewhere in the world and maybe there's 12, 15 different parties that touch this product before it goes from you to the shelf of um, um, the consumer. Um, but you're on the hook for the quality, right? How do you manage that whole process make sure everybody along the way interacts? It can be very complicated to tell everybody just use one piece of software. But their blockchain can really help you keep track of that. So, so you can make a blockchain and say, okay, every single time somebody takes this produce, you check it in and out of the blockchain. You know exactly who had it for how long, and then it was passed on to the next guy and the next guy and so on. So let's say you are in a, in a supermarket in China. Um, it's really awesome that you can then scan the QR code. Um, and we actually did a project like this uh, with WeChat in China. You can scan the QR code of, of the goods in the supermarket. And you can see, oh, wow, this is actually coming from North America. And we can even see what field this cow was raised on uh, cool. and what farmer had it, right? So, so I think those are really cool use cases. But unfortunately, I also think some of the hype is getting a little bit in the way of, of the stuff that really works. Yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting because pe- a lot of people won't admit that, right? But I- I'm happy that you said that because, yeah, yeah, it, yeah it's, that's fair. So... I want to go back to trade shift from the developer's perspective for for a couple of minutes here. I don't want to dive too technical, but you guys have basically built a whole developer portal where people can reference your APIs. You even built a whole design framework. Do you want to talk about how developers can leverage trade shift uh, inside their apps and other uses that uh, people can use? Yeah, so, so I think it's, it's back to the same thing as I just mentioned before with the idea that we would take all of these lessons from the consumer world, right? So, you know, um, before we started, if you wanted to go and write an application that worked with one of the big pieces of enterprise software, yeah. um, good luck. I yeah, mean, fair. you know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, it'll take two years and you'll have to pay like $10 million in fees just to get started, right? And what that actually meant is that it held back innovation, right? Because totally. Imagine, you, you know, if you can, you know, let all of these creative minds, all of these people who have great ideas build stuff and create value, right? So when we created TradeShift, we, um, we put out um, in, in, immediately 
um, an API, so third-parties could develop. And, and we didn't know what they would come up with, right? We were just like, if you want to access, you know, the value and build stuff that works on top of the network, you can do that. And, you know, within the first few months, we had people who had apps that did credit checks of somebody you were about to invoice. Um, we had apps that helped you figure out where certain things were in the world. Um, we have today apps that do stuff like uh, if you're about to ship goods, you can calculate the carbon footprint uh, of that. And, you know, even included to the end consumer and tell them this is my, my carbon footprint of, of delivering these services, right? So, and if we had to build all of that ourselves, it would have taken, you know, a hundred years. Sure. Um, but, but instead we have all of this, this crazy cool innovation going on on top of the platform. So it's super awesome, but it's also very hard because it means that whenever you're building something yourself, you need to put yourself into the mindset of an app developer. Yeah. Uh, you can't just build stuff for you, right? You almost need to think it through two or three times. And since you don't know all of the use cases for what, how people will do with it, um, it, it's, it's, it's very hard in the beginning. It takes a long time before it really works, but now it, it, it works amazingly. No, that I would say one more. Keep going. Sorry. Keep going. No, go ahead. No, no. I talk like very fast, but no, uh, one was, other thing. <laughs> go no, on. Keep, go, go. No, cause I'm going to change the topic slightly. So keep going. Okay. I'll just, I'll just wrap it up and then say, you know, the other thing, uh, if you are a developer and you think, what can we use the Tracy platform for? Like, let's imagine. You have an app where you're doing any kind of the business process. Let's say you're, for instance, doing invoices somewhere in the world, or you know you need to invoice your customers. Well, instead of building all of that yourself, just call our API. We will handle global tax compliance for you, all of that stuff. Or if you want to do something where you need any kind of business process inside your app, and and you need like inventory or whatever else it is, you can just use our platform, and and we have all of that pre-packaged for you. So we make it a lot simpler to build those things, and you don't need to learn about the tax code in 190 countries, which I really don't recommend anybody doing. <laughs> fair, fair enough. The The other thing that I thought was really um, cool about what you guys are doing on, for developers is you guys built your own UI library and not a lot of um, kind of developer kits have that. Like some do, obviously, but like it, it's really cool that you guys are basically giving away a lot, if not most of, if not all of your UI components that designers and developers can use as well to match their apps with your app. So it, it just gives their users a more consistent user experience. Is, is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, no, absolutely right. We wanted to make it, we spent a ton of resources on doing user research, building a UX framework you know, that, that works on mobile, works on smartphone, that works on all sorts of devices, right? Sure. And we, we thought, right, like if every app developer has to do that from scratch on the Trisha platform, it's going to cost them a fortune. And some of the new stuff we're doing with the UX framework is, is really, really cool because we started embedding stuff like AI into it as well. So let's say you're an app developer and you have like a drop-down list where you need to select something. If you use our code and, and our UX framework to do that, you don't just get a drop-down list. You actually get an AI component that will help you sort that list based on how users select from it. So, you know, if every single time you have a drop-down and you select strawberries over blackberries, it'll put strawberries up top. It'll learn from your behavior, right? So, so it's also a way of making your apps very more intelligent without needing to invest all of the resources in building AI and machine learning. Interesting. Which... As somebody that's that's worked on teams building that stuff, takes forever to do, or it can take forever to do, right? Yeah, 
No, it's it's especially everything around machine learning, right? It's it's difficult at to scale and difficult to build. Yeah. Um, but consumers are expecting it more and more, and users are expecting more and more. So it's it's a way just to cut a shortcut really for a lot of app developers. No, that 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 makes total sense. So I'm curious though, you've obviously been in this space for a long time, and I think we're only going to get more and more connected. Um, do you have any kind of predictions or thoughts on what's potentially going to happen in the next few years or, or, or just cause there's so much kind of, I think change coming digitally in inside and kind of outside of companies. Do you have any thoughts or predictions of, of things that you could maybe see in the next three to five years? Yeah, I think, I mean, um, so, so first off, I think, um, all of the next generations joining big companies, they'll expect everything to work like consumers, right? Yeah. So there's this idea, you know, when I use software as a consumer at home, it's super awesome, right? If I want to watch something, I just use Netflix. I get immediately what I want. If I want to go somewhere, I use Uber and it's super easy. I just click three buttons and I'm going wherever I want to go. If I want to eat something, you know, I just use Instacart or, you know, Uber Eats or whatever to get food to me immediately, right? Or So, so there's all of these just seamless consumer services that are really built to create an outcome for you super, super fast. It's not about the process. It's about creating an outcome. I want to go from A to B. And I think a lot of those next generations, uh, you know, everything, everybody from millennials and down to dinner is that and, and below that key is going to expect software to work like that. And I think they're going to be a little disappointed in the beginning, right? So there's, if I have one prediction is that the software we use at work will go from being pretty lame to being pretty awesome um, sure. because of the demands of the, the, the next generation of workforce, right? Um, I think the other big thing to, to watch out for is, is, is really uh, to talk about everything being global. Um, there's this weird schizophrenia right now. If, if you turn on the TV, if you, you know, turn on CNN or wherever you turn on, all you'll hear about is like trade war and political chaos and, you know, U.S., China, and, you know, U.S., Europe, and, and trade war, right? Yeah. But it's a complete, it's a complete different than what we see in our private lives, right? Like, I mean, where have you personally experienced the trade war? The answer is nowhere, yeah. Yeah, right? Exactly. I mean, your iPhone doesn't cost more. You go to the grocery, it still costs the same. Like, so, so, so what I think is, you know, politicians might talk a lot about this, and they might even influence tariffs and all of these things, but the reality is, we are so connected as end consumers is not hitting us as end consumers. It's not like Chinese goods or, or spices or anything is going off the shelves in your supermarket. It's not like you can't buy, you know, ingredients for Mexican food anymore because of, of trade war. So, so, so we are so connected and so global as consumers. And I think that's only going to increase. And I think, you know, that will decrease a lot of the political leverage that that actually is, right? Because, you know, I mean, one thing is to talk about it theoretically, but, but I think, you know, what's probably going to happen is a lot of consumers are going to wake up and, and figure out that this is actually a bluff. I mean, our real world is not going to change and is, is not changing from this. Yeah, no, interesting. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I, I think it's it's funny how much of this stuff, like, can affect you, doesn't affect you. But I also think as you, to your point a few minutes ago, um, enterprise software for the most part is awful, right? And it's only going to get oh, better yeah. because it has to get better, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
If your enterprise application is not as good as Uber or Netflix, which you should compare yourself to and not like, let's say, SAP or Oracle, yeah. then, then you're going to lose. And, and that's the new reality, right? And I think, you know, I mean, both inside companies, but certainly also inside software companies, people are slowly, slowly waking up to this new reality, right? Yeah. Well, and to be fair, I think in a lot of cases, you could give Apple a lot of credit for kind of kicking off the making design really, really important. And I think more and more companies are starting to embrace that, but we still have a long way to go, right? Like from a user experience side of things, right? Like whether you like um, the iPhone or not, or, or Apple products or not, like they clearly inspired an entire movement around making things easier to use, look nicer, you know, that kind of thing, right? And we, the list goes on and on. Do you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts around that? No, absolutely right. And I think, you know, um, if you think about the sort of shift that happened from before Apple and still Apple, right? Windows was about complexity. Windows yeah. was about having as many buttons as possible. And I don't remember your old Windows apps. It's just like the more buttons, the better, right? Yep. <laughs> and, and Steve Jobs, he, Steve Jobs, he just killed that, right? I mean, very famously, he killed the keyboard. And everybody's like saying all user research shows that users want a keyboard on the phone. And he says, well, the users don't know what they want. They're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I think it's a little bit the same here, right? I mean, the same shift is going to happen in enterprise. Right now, we think enterprise software is about having as many buttons as possible. And what we're going to realize is that's still the world of the past and it's going to change to actually wanting to have as few buttons as possible and making things as easy as possible to do the outcome, right? Sure. Well, and, and the other thing too that actually is really interesting to me about TradeShift that, I, I, well, you could tell me if, I, if I'm going in the right direction here, is so many companies, whether they're looking to get acquired, passed down, maybe both or kind of grow into other verticals or maybe make sure that they don't become obsolete through software are actually starting to build maybe their own competitors or optimize some sort of things internally through software that can make them more efficient, give them better dashboards, maybe sadly not replace people when they retire or make people that are doing maybe some of the repetitive tasks automate with software so those people can do maybe more complex stuff somebody like a company like trade shift and what you guys are building could basically through your developer apis and, and your other kind of solutions could allow me to build some of that software that i just kind of outlined a lot quicker is that yeah but okay keep going yeah no, no, go, no, no, so, 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 you know, go on with your questions, sorry, well, I'll, I'll get to it. Well, I was going to say, basically, like, that's why when I kind of heard about you guys, I, I was actually really quite fascinated because the, the barrier to entry to build software, to do whatever you need to do to sell your product or optimize your company, in your case, like, from, from the invoicing standpoint to the um, kind of credit card standpoint to a handful of other things that we've kind of talked throughout the show and, and that you guys do, I could basically leverage with my software company or my software company I, I create tomorrow to do a lot of the things that I kind of outlined. Do you agree with that or what are your thoughts around that? No, no, absolutely right. And I think, you know, we have this thesis inside TradeShift that 
A company to survive in the future needs to be, be adaptive. It needs to be able to change a lot faster, right? In the last 15 years, 50% of the Fortune 500 disappeared, right? I mean, 15 years ago, if somebody told you that Blockbuster was going to be bankrupt within three years, you would laugh, right? And, and what happens is that the world today moves so much faster, so you need to be adaptive, right? And if your software don't allow you to change, if the process is, is just like, you know, in concrete, you know, how hard it is to change like old school software, it becomes almost impossible to change and move. But what you can do with a platform like TradeShift is you can make that really, really rapid change because if you don't like something, if you don't like something a certain way works, you can actually just try a different app on the platform to say, hey, maybe we want to do this visualization of our spend data instead of this first one. We like that better. Or guess what? If it's not there what you want, you can just make it yourself. You know, you can work with some of your developer friends or your IT department and you can build something that does what you need on top of our platform and you don't need to, to reinvent the wheel 20 times over. 100%. No, that's, that's actually really quite interesting. But we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention? Yeah, so I say, look, you know, just go to treasure.com. We have a pretty rich site there. You mentioned several times. If you're a developer, go check out our developer site. If you're working with a big company, go check out our enterprise solutions. Um, or, or, and, and, you know, if you're a seller, or if you're a smaller company, you want to see, just go sign up and, and try it out. And, and if you have any questions or you like what you hear here, I just want to engage. I'm very, very easy to find. Just go and look at Twitter. Search for my name. It'll also be on the podcast. And guess what? If you, you contact me, if you, you write to me, I'll respond to you on Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty famous for that. So really looking forward to having some more conversations from that. Very cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.